1: Hello and welcome back to the RHS Gardening Podcast. Every fortnight in these podcasts, we bring you a mixture of features and discussions exploring every aspect of gardening, plant care, pest control, garden design, growing your own fruit and vegetables and container ideas, plus expert seasonal advice throughout the year. I'm Tony Dickerson, one of the RHS's team of horticultural advisors based here at RHS Garden Wisley in Surrey. Coming up in this edition... We visit the tropical butterflies in the glasshouse at Wisley and see the plants that they've made their homes. RHS experts answer your seasonal gardening questions and, as always, the latest news on RHS garden events across the UK. But first, now that spring is around the corner, there's so much that can be done in the garden. Let's join the garden teams here at RHS Garden Wisley to hear what jobs they will be tackling this March.
2: My name is Markus Ratscheid. I'm one of the garden managers here at the RHS flagship garden at Wisley in Surrey. Now we are getting into the most busy part of the gardener's year. March is really the time of the year you need to get your vegetable garden prepared, you need to get your fruit garden prepared and amongst your ornamentals you want to have done lots and lots of work done so it's no time for rest but uh, lots of work that can be done on the weekend. Let me talk you through a couple of those jobs that need being done fairly soon. So why not starting off in your, our little propagation house? Have you already placed your seeds order for this year? If not, urgently get your seed lists out, place your order with a cup of coffee and a cup of tea plus a biscuit and then get it out this week to the various seed houses order your vegetable seeds if not already done, your flower seeds for your bedding and other plants that you need to get so next week and the following weekend you can get them into your grass house, you get them planted, you get them sawn out, so once they're germinated after Easter or so you can start pricking out, put them into the next size container. Pricking up out, means taking your seed tray where you have dozens and dozens of little seedlings coming from your seed uh, seed, pe- seed pack. You want to kind of space them and we call it pricking out. You basically take the little seedlings and play- take them into the next size container upwards. So they're getting into from the, from the baby stage into the toddler stage moved over and they got a little bit of more room in a bigger bigger pot to grow on. So you're ready for your bedding plants that need to go into your window boxes, into your patio, onto your flower beds by the mid of May. So that's the time now to get started with this.
3: Hello, my name's Heather Cook. I work in the RHS seed team here at Wisley and I manage the RHS seed scheme. Well, here in the seed team, we're actually sending out our orders at the moment. But um, for people at home, I would suggest that you organise your seed at the moment. So I would sort them into date order. I mean, uh, at home, I have a a kind of a box and um, I've split it into 12 months of the year. So yes, everything needing to be um, sown in March goes into the March slot. Um, and I would also be cleaning all my pots as well to make sure that when I'm sowing all the, the seed that um, everything is pest and disease free and I'm also buying in some um, seed compost as well so that, to give everything the best chance possible of, of germinating well. Well, here in the seed team, um, we are—we're not doing much seed collecting, but the sorts of things that you could collect at this time of the year are things like the, um, the winter box. So that Sarcococca confusa—that's got some lovely black berries on it at the moment—and you could collect that. And then, if you mash away the pulp. Um, maybe through a, a, a sieve, um, through some running water and then you can extract the seed and then dry it out and then you could you could almost sow it straight away actually.
1: Access to the RHS Seed Scheme is only one of the many benefits of RHS membership. Members also get free entry to all four RHS gardens, the opportunity to buy discounted and priority tickets to RHS events and flower shows such as the RHS Chelsea Flower Show, free personal advice on any gardening query from our expert team and much more, including, of course, an additional gardening podcast exclusively for members. If you're not already a member, why not find out more about the benefits? Just go to rhs.org.uk forward slash join. I'm Tony Dickerson, and you're listening to the RHS Gardening Podcast. Right now here at RHS Garden Wisley, there's just time to see the stunning butterflies in the glasshouse, which ends on the 8th of March. Packed with tree ferns, orchids, citrus trees, water lilies, towering palms and trailing creepers, the displays inside the Glasshouse are stunning at any time of the year. When the plants are offset against the vibrant colours of the exotic butterflies, the result is truly captivating for visitors and staff. We joined Glasshouse team leader Peter Jones to find out more about what is on offer for visitors this year and what's in the pipeline for this popular event next year.
4: Hi, I'm Peter Jones, the team leader for the Glass Houses here at RHS Wisley. And we're coming into our last week of the butterfly event, uh, which finishes this Sunday. It's an excellent way to come and see something different in these gloomy times of the year. And you can see hundreds of tropical butterflies flying around you. So uh, some of the plants you might see is our caliandra, the red powder puff tree. Uh, which looks, as it sounds, like a big red powder puff that you would apply your makeup to in the 30s, and that really attracts uh, butterflies like the Asian swallowtail and the great Mormon, uh, which are large butterflies about the same size of your palm, with flecks of red and yellow on their wings and little tails on the end, uh, as the name suggests, like swallows. Other butterflies you might see is the, the very uh, popular blue morpho with its uh, large iridescent blue wings and its cousin the white morpho which is almost pure white uh, and again about the same size as, your, as a, a palm. Other cool butterflies you might see are the little tiny glass wings uh, about the same size of your two thumbs together shall we say uh, and their wings are translucent Uh, And they're really rather difficult to spot, but they're so fun when you see them flitting around other plants we've got in the glasshouse, like our lantana. Uh, Lantana, which uh, most people might know as a plant that you bed out during the summertime. Um, They're they're, they're excellent nectar plants for some of the the butterflies that we have in. Also, when you're walking around, you'll see little tables of uh, rotting fruit, which a lot of our fruit feeding butterflies land on. And you'll be able to see them feed with their proboscis going into bits of pineapple and citrus. It's such a popular event for all the family, old uh, or young. Uh, it's a great thing for getting the children to come and see. They love seeing uh, something different and all the little butterflies flying around. a quite a magical experience. And also, say, if you're a budding photographer and you want to come and uh, hone your camera skills. The Butterfly Event is just one of the events we hold in the Glass House. Throughout the year, we have seasonal plant displays, kind of specialising in different plant groups. Plant groups that you could perhaps grow at home, whether that be anything from pelargoniums to fuchsias. Our next big plant group display will be our orchid display uh, we'll be having colorful vanda walks through tropical and um, interesting floral exhibits in the tropical pond as well as uh, we're going to try and do a landscape effect in our gallery in the temperate house uh, so it'll be a, a good uh, display to see some interesting orchid groups that you could try at home and then also right next to that event we're going to do a display focusing on forced Glasshouse plants which are heavily scented like freesias Uh, we've got sweet peas which we'll have in full bloom from for april and we'll also have lots of um force-grown stocks in full flower so when when i use the term forcing i mean bringing plants on earlier than they would do so we've sown our sweet peas earlier and then we've grown them using a heated glass house to encourage them into flower earlier than you would expect them normally and that's the same for all of the plants we'll be growing for the centre Wisley, whether that is our freesias or narcissus, uh, the daffodils. So we've got a lot of pot-grown scented Dar- narcissus. This year is also rather special for the RHS and uh, orchids in the UK because it's the European Orchid Conference at the Westminster Halls this year, starting on the eighth of April, going on until the twelfth. Um, so if you fancy something different. Uh, And to see a wealth of European orchids, uh, you pop along to the Vincent Square or to the Westminster Halls uh, to see what is on offer there. This year, uh, the Wisley team will be actually putting on a small display of our own orchids to demonstrate alongside all our other
1: European counterparts. Peter Jones. Remember, you can visit the butterflies in the glasshouse at RHS Garden Wisley until the 8th of March this year and they'll be back again in January 2016. It really is a treat for all the family. Other attractions and events coming up in the next few weeks at the four RHS Gardens. Come to RHS Garden Wisley in Surrey on the 25th of March from 10.30am until 4pm and learn the basics of plant propagation and the best techniques to produce the most successful results. The day will include a demonstration of taking cuttings and sowing seeds with the opportunity to try the activities and take the results home. There will also be a guided tour around the Propagation Glass at Wisley where thousands of plants are raised for the garden every year. At RHS Garden Rosemore in Devon on the 16th of April between 11am and 12.30pm you can learn techniques for container gardening. Create colourful potted displays in your own garden along with making a hanging basket for enjoyment throughout the season. If you're interested in digital photography Visit the RHS Garden Harlow Carr in North Yorkshire on the 24th of April from 10am until 4pm for a course on the magical world of insect photography. Gardens are usually teeming with insect life and during the day you will cover the equipment needed and the techniques used to take successful insect pictures. At RHS Garden Hyde Hall in Essex on the 25th of April between 10am and 4pm you can go back to basics and learn some of the essentials of gardening. You can find out how to choose the right plants for your garden how to prepare your soil to plant and care for them, spot pests and diseases, and identify troublesome weeds. For full details of all these events and more, go to rhs.org.uk forward slash on. And if you're looking for a birthday present or perhaps a mother's day gift, then give an RHS show ticket voucher to family and friends to enjoy a wonderful day at one of our world famous flower shows. They will find dazzling gardens, stunning floral displays, top advice from RHS experts, and much, much more. It's a wonderful present that will delight anyone, not just garden lovers. Visit rhs.org.uk forward slash shows voucher. Now, as regular listeners to the RHS Gardening Podcast may know, we ask members of the RHS advisory team to answer your topical gardening questions. So let's join my colleagues now to hear advice on some of the queries they've received recently.
5: I'm Lee Hunt. I'm the Principal Horticultural Advisor here at RHS Garden Wisley. I'm Guy Barter. I work on the Horticultural Advice team here at Wisley. Kate Homers uh, sent a letter in from Guildford. It says, "It is it better to buy a container-grown tree rather than a bare root or root bald one? Uh, when is it uh, the latest that it could be planted? And uh, she also says that she's planning to get either an ash, which is a sorbus. And it, she's thinking of something about sort of eight to nine foot. So 2.4 to 2.7 metres. Um, so it's got to go through the back door of the terrace as well. So what do we think? Root, uh, container or should it be something that's root ball or root um, bare rooted?
1: Well, I, I, I planted a, a mountain ash um last winter and um, if i could have possibly got it bare rooted that's what i would do always very good value very difficult these days to actually get hold of them so unfortunately it was a container grown plant and as with so many trees you buy very root bound so i think the important thing uh, you'll have a chance to buy at any time of the year but when it comes to planting very important to tease out the roots any circling roots which is always a problem with container grown trees uncurl them and if necessary prune them off
6: you can plant uh, container grown trees anytime between um, October to March and the same applies to boot to a rare to bare root trees they um they're not usually lifted until leaf fall which is November at the earliest but as soon as you can get hold of them plant them and uh, they're good value for money and um, try and get the job done by March container grown plants are best planted October to March but you can if you must plant them April to September as ever with any container grown tree uh, be sure to keep it well watered for two years until the roots grow out and it can fend for itself
1: and I guess not to be forgotten, um, a tree of that size, even though it's quite modest, again, is going to need a stake to secure it, not to actually hold the tree up, but to secure the roots so that they are not uh, torn by the swaying or movement of the, the tree itself
5: as a general principle smaller is better it's going to establish quicker and more easily so if you know you can't be running out every night to water it during dry spells you might do better to get a little one and get it going more easily but of course we do have often specific reasons to buy big so just take that extra care claire good
6: goodchildwood has emailed him uh she says i planted snowdrops last autumn but there's no sign of them meanwhile the crocus are in bloom and the daffodils look promising she wants to know what she did wrong with the snowdrops and she also says have a few bushes they want to cut back and lots of ivy uh what's the best time to do do this um the, the snowdrops were a bit of a bargain from a pound shop which may or may not have something to do with
1: it tony what do you think well bulbs for autumn planting are usually a phenomenal value. But unfortunately, snowdrops are not going to come into uh, that particular category. They just will not tolerate dry storage. And uh, the bulbs you buy, although you can get many hundreds for a very modest price, the chances are the great majority will actually fail. They'll be dry and dead uh, even before you plant them. There's two options there. If you just want uh, common species like our own native uh, or possibly native snowdrop. uh, uh, galanthus nivalis then you can buy them in the green in the spring shortly after flowering they'll transplant very easily if you're going for more uh, unusual rarer snowdrops you can buy them potted or a lot of the specialists send them out damp packed shortly after they're lifted a bit later in the summer in the green is where snowdrops are lifted usually shortly after flowering they're still in growth um it's a, a method that's used uh, by a lot of snowdrop uh, growers a uh, very good and cheap way of buying them um, they're literally in growth you s- w- receive them with their leaves on some of the roots as well and then plant them immediately uh, always plant into the depth that uh, they were previously and that's shown by the the whiteness on the actual stem where the leaf goes from green to white so you know the correct uh, depth at which to actually plant you need to water them in um They probably don't make much in the way of further root growth or whatever having been lifted, but they seem to tolerate that very easily and it's much better than buying the the dry bulbs in the autumn
5: obviously she's bought them from a pound shop and bulbs can be very expensive and particularly if you're buying snowdrops they can be very expensive in the green but if you've got any friends this is the time to press your advantage with them because often their clumps will get quite large and quite congested so lifting and dividing them i'm sure would be an advantage for them too and you'll get some of the bulbs out of it to replant so you can think about them every year i'm sure there's many ways you can say that it's an advantage to get them out of them anyway moving on to the uh, the shrub pruning Um, evergreen shrubs i think are
6: best pruned uh, just before growth starts in the spring and the the same goes for ivy as ever remember birds bird nests and ideally get the pruning done as early as you can in march or at least check the bushes if pruning later to make sure there's no bird nests there for deciduous shrubs You have to be guided by the time of flowering if they flower in the summer like buddlias on new shoots then you cut them back in march and if they flower on the in the spring then you cut them back as soon as they finished flowering and it's not difficult to to prune um buddlier because you just cut the whole lot back but the ones in the spring often confound people so what you do is you take one stem in three and cut it back to near ground level near ground level means about 8 inches uh, 20 centimeters. And, um, one in three means that if the bush, say, has got five big stems, um, you'd cut out one or two and you do that every year and rejuvenate the bush and, um, it'll, it'll look nice and you won't have, um, periods of non-flowering, which might happen if you just give it a haircut all over or cut it back to ground level in a fit of frustration.
1: We have an email here from Anne Harrod Lewis. Uh, She would like some top tips for a small north-facing garden. We've decided to give up on the lawn we planted last year. It's all bog after the winter. And she asks if there's any ideas for easy shrubs and perennials to plant that are in shade all winter and get partial sun May to September.
5: Now I'm going to suggest some of Tony's favourite plants today. Um, He really doesn't like variegated plants. But I think when you've got a dark location, obviously having the lightness of the foliage really helps. And I'm thinking about gold and cream variegated things here. So uh, yes, things like euonymus, which is a small creeping bush, little leaves, and something like emerald and gold does have that mix of both gold and the literally the sort of emerald green too and it can lap up a wall and and creep up so you get a bit covering the boundaries as well as making hummocks that you can clip so it's very useful and um, can be used in many ways as well. I think you want different shapes and textures as well as mounds think about things with large leaves like fatsias which are also glossy and again if you want you can have those palm shaped leaves in variegated forms. Uh, Similarly things like camellias often very tolerant and it gives you that amount of spring color so something bright pink like anticipation would actually give you a highlight from about march through to may time so yes shiny glossy and anything that provides a bit of tough color in the sense of camellias will help
1: now i i think a, a damp garden in shade is much too good to be wasted on variegated plants and i'd be looking for some choice perennials uh, for example, amongst the bulbs, uh, Lilium Superbum, great for a damper soil in shade. Um, Turks Cap lily, a North American lily. Uh, Turks Cap, the petals are reflexed, reflex, they're tightly round on themselves. Uh, bright scarlet red and yellow with some degree of spotting. And uh, certainly a very good lily for a damper soil where a lot of other bulbs would simply rot. Um, also amongst the perennials something like trolleus, um, globe flower, um, like an enormous um, buttercup in a sense but far more ornamental and again a very good choice for a damper soil. And of course uh, more if you like everyday uh, plants such as hostas which again will revel in those conditions so long as the slugs and snails are not too uh, numerous. And having heard
6: these um, great selections from Lee and Tony, I'm sure you'll be wanting to enjoy them. So since the ground will be boggy at in frequent intervals, don't forget to put in some paths and stepping stones so you can get up close and enjoy these plants.
1: And perhaps just a couple of others. Um, so the candelabra um the primroses, um, mainly East uh, Asian uh, plants, great for uh, a damper soil uh, very spectacular uh, at harlow car along the uh, stream side there we have great plantings of the uh, hybrids which are just spontaneously developed there from different species but they're very good they'll self-seed and uh, be in flower for several weeks in early spring when you're often looking for color
6: del taylor um, from essex has emailed in and um, he's working on a project in a, a pocket park and he has a, a a japanese knotweed situation on his hands um it's been professionally treated but he'd like to know a little more about people's experience with it in particular how long until they can plant in the area how to work around it precautions to take and then he's ended his letter in a rather ironic um, emoticons of a smiley so um tony what do you reckon
1: obviously if uh, professionals are dealing with the problem it's probably uh, an appreciable clump and uh, i think the main thing there is that it should be clearly identified perhaps with picket fencing or uh, chestnut fencing some sort to actually uh, show that it's an area that really you don't want to disturb i certainly don't want to be digging there Uh, that would only encourage the the rhizomes to uh, uh, divide and shoot and so on um it's one of these plants that it has to be dealt with in situ. Um, if you were to dig it up, it's controlled waste under the Environment Act, so it can only be disposed of in licensed landfill uh, situations. And uh, in this case, a chemical solution probably based on glyphosate or one of the professional chemicals will be effective, but it's long-term, uh, Perhaps three years or so would be a reasonable time frame for a relatively modest clump. Uh, obviously, it's been dealt with well, and uh, as I say, I think the main thing is to uh, uh, leave the professionals to uh, do their annual treatments and to uh, leave the plant undisturbed. In ordinary garden situations, people do get very concerned about Japanese knotweed. Most of the inquiries we get with the advisory service, it tends to be a relatively small little clump or whatever. And uh, there are products available at garden centres with instructions about how you can treat uh, small clumps yourself. And uh, as I say, uh, obviously, great extensive stands of Japanese knotweed are a serious problem. But the the odd plant here or there um, certainly uh, can be dealt with and is not quite the nightmare that people often imagine.
5: Japanese knotweed is one of those uh, phrases that tends to strike terror into the hearts of gardeners. So first thing is to actually know what is Japanese knotweed. It should have hollow stems and it should have heart shaped leaves. And I would advise going on our website to look at the description further when you've got it in front of you to make sure you've got it. Because there are other things, uh, Hoitoinia, which is often a little variegated plant, but has similar shaped leaves, but much smaller. And another quite common plant called Persicaria, which has pink flowers, whereas Japanese knotweed has white flowers. Um is one of those things that people commonly get mistaken and panic and they think they have to control it and it thankfully it's not the weed to begin with. Now the problem with this weed is that if you have got Japanese knotweed and you identify the roots are very vigorous and they can go down a long way into the ground so you'll find that your little bit starts to become as it establishes a very Thick clump, um, and it's then very difficult to get rid of because the roots are said to go down a long way, and if you chop them down or try and dig them up, well, every little bit can grow. You only need a little bit of root, perhaps not much bigger than a thumbnail, and that can grow into a new plant. So you mustn't put it in your compost heap, and as Tony was saying, it was controlled waste, so you can't just take it to the tip. So It becomes this sort of snowballing issue, if you're not careful, where it gets bigger and bigger, starts to spread to the neighbours and the sense of rising panic comes. So the simple thing is not to let it get to that point. Make sure you know what you've got. If it is Japanese knotweed, then treat it with the readily available chemical that's in the garden centres. And it has literally instructions on the packet for Japanese knotweed so you know you've got the right one. And then if you're still not coping, that's when to seek help from the contractors. So obviously with this pocket park, they've done that. They've made that decision already. Really why Japanese knotweed is so bad is that it just keeps spreading and it's one of those really, really persistent weeds. So it's the feeling that you just can't deal with it that makes it so bad in effect. And it can on occasions crack through paving and it can sort of Be known to go into buildings as well but generally speaking it's the ability to stop it that makes it people feel that it's a really bad thing and one other
6: um, thing is that um, when contractors are dealing with difficult cases they often use extremely powerful weed killers and those weed killers can leave residues so speak to the contractors and get their advice on how soon you can begin replanting after the japanese knotweed has gone if in doubt plant some broad beans seeds and if they come up smartly and look good then all will probably be well Uh, just to make sure have a control area nearby to compare where the ground hasn't been treated and plant a few bean seeds there and that way you can be assured that your planting won't be damaged by the chemicals used to control the japanese knotweed
1: the rhs advice team we at the RHS are asking gardeners to help us chart the onset and progress of spring by recording when magnolia cambellii trees bloom, so we can track and map the progress of spring across the UK. The aim is to help gardeners better understand the unique climate conditions of their area and garden accordingly. Please go to rhs.org.uk forward slash magnoliasurvey2015 to take part. You can find out more information on all aspects of plants and gardening techniques on the advice pages of our award-winning RHS website, plus general gardening tips and guides to seasonal jobs. Go to rhs.org.uk forward slash advice. Last month, to mark the 50th edition of the RHS Gardening Podcast, we ran a competition for listeners to win tickets to the RHS Hampton Court Palace Flower Show, the world's largest flower show set in beautiful historical surroundings from the 30th of June to the 5th of July. Winners of a pair of tickets each are Mrs. Benita Deegan from Lincoln and Mr. Paul Beeston from East Sussex. And winners of an individual ticket each are Mrs. Jennifer Elliott from Devon and Mrs. Andrea Newman from Lincolnshire. If you weren't lucky enough to win tickets to the RHS Hampton Court Palace Flower Show, they're available to buy now through the RHS website at rhs.org.uk forward slash Hampton Court. And 2015 promises to be even more spectacular than ever, as it's the show's 25th anniversary. So that's all we have time for in this edition. We'll be back in a fortnight. Until then, remember to follow us on Twitter at the underscore RHS and like us on Facebook. For now, from me, Tony Dickerson, and all the RHS Gardening Podcast team, goodbye.